is just like everything else. It never makes a mistake. Only, it's never making a mistake must include the feeling that mistakes can be made. That's where uh, this point of view would differ somewhat from the point of view of a Christian scientist who uh, strives manfully, in a way, to assert that evil is purely illusory, but doesn't quite grasp the point that the illusion of there being something evil is important and good too. We're not trying to get rid of it, you see. Because if you get rid of it, uh, you, you would have problems. It, it's, uh, I could say, for example, that a character, a historical character like Hitler, uh, is someone about whom it is very natural for most of us to feel angry. And that's perfectly right that we feel angry. Although he is a, as much a natural phenomenon as an earthquake. So what we have then is a system of sort of hierarchy, of levels. And at the point where you are involved, you can't stand aside from yourself and look at it objectively in the same way as you look at the patterns of home and the or the light of the fishes in the sky pool. But to be liberated is to be able to see human life in the same way as you see all other lives. And to do that, you have to be able to live, as it were, on two levels. The level of involvement and the level of detachment. And therefore, uh, cultivating the level of detachment is something that is done through the mysterious human property of self-consciousness. To be able to know that you know, to feel that you feel. And by possessing that faculty, which is uh, self-consciousness, is being able to reflect upon one's own life. We are able to become, uh, as it were, to go to a, a level at which our own life is seen in its total context, in the universe. That is to say, to realize that yourself is not your ego, which is the standpoint at which you are involved, in your game and taking sides. But yourself is the eternal, immeasurable reality that is what there is. Only the difficulty here is that this capacity, this capacity of self-consciousness, although it is that which enables us to awaken is also capable of getting us into perfectly frightful message. Into all kinds of uh, 
what must be called feedbacks now. Where you know that you know. You can think about thinking. And you don't simply think about thinking. You can think whether your thinking was right or not. Did it come out? Or did it I do the right thinking? Then you start to worry. Then you start to worry about the kind of thinking you are doing about thinking. And so it builds up our fear of human anxiety. When the individuals that are not self-conscious behave, they behave spontaneously. They just go through the and do what they have to do. Aren't 
the machine is becoming a dirty word. Just a machine. Mere machinery. You see? But actually, there has grown out of us, through these things, enormous electronic circuits that are new forms of life. And the, these are all connected with us. They're not separate from us. They're not something like a, a different order of, of beings that might come from some other planet and conquer it. The, 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 the whole development of the electronic minds and brains that we have are new cortex. The cortex overlaps the original uh, central brain. And uh, as it were, when you play this game, you know, putting hands over hands over hands, children like to play, it's a game called capping. The cortex taps the central brain that is more like the brain of, a, of an animal and enables us to reflect on it. Now, all this machinery that we are making is an extension of our brain and is a new kind of life. But it worries us. And when uh, we start to do that, we get the feeling something is going wrong. There has been a fall. There has been a mistake. And exactly the same sensation you see is anciently connected with the development of self-consciousness in the cortex. Something went wrong. Because every time we get that feeling, it means that we've taken a new step in controlling things. Instead of relaxing and letting our wings fly us like a moth or a bird, we now have these jet planes where we have an elaborate system of anxious people, morning, noon, and night, checking it that those things go right. And marvelously, they do. Our friend uh, Ralph Johnson, who often attends these seminars, is a American Airlines captain, and he saved a jet uh, the other day in very dangerous circumstances. Uh, fantastic. But um, here it is. Now, when you haven't yet discovered that the new development, such as self-consciousness, is really a new form of nature, like a branch coming out of a tree which is a kind of a new development of the trunk. And it's something just as healthy and just as splendid as that. Then you begin to reproach yourself. And say, oh dear, I am awful. You begin to be alienated, you see, from your own center. But do you understand that being alienated from your own center is a form of, a way of stepping apart so that you can see yourself. Now that's important. That is, is resonant. See, when you sing in the bathtub, you find you've got a better voice than when you sing in a non-resonant room. Because you've got a little echo. You mustn't get too much echo. But just a little echo is resonant. And that's more fun, because it's more conscious. If you're happy and you don't know you're happy, see, you're not as happy as if you know you're happy. 
But if you know you're happy, you may spoil it by getting anxious about it. So, this self-consciousness is a kind of resonance. But then you see when it gets to the point of this terrible feeling. I can't trust my instincts anymore. I've got to decide. I have, as it were, taken over the prerogatives of God. Well, that's a terrible thing to do, because you can't be genuine anymore. See? You know that when you love somebody, you also want to get as much out of them as you can. You know that when you act as a responsible citizen, you do so so as to have a good image in your own view of yourself. It's your ego kick. Only you dress it up so that it's not an ego kick at all, but perfectly sincere public service and uh, charity and good feelings towards everybody. Ha-ha! <laughs> and so then there begins this awful thing. <coughs> I was shaking. And so somehow there comes up the state of mind when you appear to yourself as rotten. Some people, when they take LSD, get visions of everything is glorious, you see, and is light inside it. But occasionally people get the vision that everything is corrupt, that all faces are things that are slowly drooling away into, into sort of puffy rock, and that just everything is falling apart. And they begin to get the feeling that life is a disease, we originally had here a nice, clean planet with nothing but rock, fire, and it was sterile and nice. And all this dreadful goo developed. And the best thing for it is to wipe it up. Life is a terrible mistake. And a lot of people feel that. And therefore, they want to get away from their bodies to a purely geological electronic state. It's called spirituality. You know what most people think of as spirituality? Something totally abstract, something mathematical, something electronic, something uh, which has no, no kind of past or blood or goo, especially no flesh. That's the spiritual state. So that expresses the feeling of these people fundamentally who are at their essential life. Now, this is going to get complicated, I warn you. They're ambivalent about it. See, in uh, both Hebrew and Christian, and I should add Islamic theology, Sin, of which one repents, is a spiritual sin. It does not arise from the body. The author of evil is an angel, a bodiless being. 
and therefore he is something closer to, say, E equals mc squared than to uh, a rose bud. <laughs> but at the same time, in practice, that's the theory. In practice, what so many Jews, Christians, and Muslims regard as evil is the body. The physical world and our involvement in it, our interest in it. And so you see, for this reason, materialism is a dirty word. You shouldn't be a materialist. Although William Temple uh, very wisely said once that Christianity is the most materialistic religion. But that is true, theoretically. Judaism is one of the equally materialistic religions, theoretically. Sometimes more so practically than the Christian. Because materialism is the love of material. And as we shall see, it is fundamental to Judaism that God creates the world not in state, but a great good thing and a material world at that. So then, you, you, you can see what I'm pointing out to you is that how ambivalent we are. We say that evil is spiritual, and yet we treat it as if it were fleshly. As if one could escape from this flesh. The spirit is willing to the flesh is evil. Within this wall of flesh there is a soul, can't see her creditor, with advantage means to pay thy love. See, the wall of flesh, the image of the prison, and the soul inside. I'm quoting Shakespeare. Um, oh, that this juicy, solid flesh would melt. You see, when you get sick, when you get old, when you find that your body is becoming tiresome to carry around, there grows up this resentment against physical existence. So, all of these different moods, Horror at one's own perverse soul. Horror at being involved in a corruptible body. Will be involved in the penitential mood. Now, I presume that most of you have had personal experience of this at some time in your life. It's always puzzling to children whenever I start on this. I know in the uh, Anglican Church, uh, they have a, everybody, you know, says a general confession. Children can never understand it. They don't know what all these terrible things that they're supposed to be going on. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. 
We have done those things which we ought not to have done, and we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and there is no help in us. The children, it's a quiet, the most amazing thing to say. Or uh, that awful one they have at the Holy Communion, um, talking about our sins, the remembrance of them is grievous unto us, the burden of them is intolerable. And then, of course, it's in the Catholic Church, it's simpler, where they say, I confess to God Almighty and all the various saints that have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. In Latin, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. The story is told of an altar boy. <laughs> Didn't understand Latin, or you say, me a cowboy, me a cowboy, <laughs> me a Mexican cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> But you see, first of all, there is a wonderful security in admitting that you're wrong. Then you're sure to be right. See? If you know you're wrong and make a great point of it, and uh, if you're suffering, and paying a punishment, you see, for being wrong, then you know it's okay. Oh, I bless the good Lord for my boys, for my mental and bodily pain. For without them, my faith all conveals, and I'm doomed to hell's ne'er-ending flame. See? So, the way of the cross is interpreted by many people as this way of life lived in and I've read many manuals on this, the spiritual advice, for example, they say, when you get a headache, don't take out. Live the pain through and offer it to the Lord, in union with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Uh, always arrange your life in such a way that it will be a little difficult. That's why some people wear a hair shirt. They are always uncomfortable. They always itch. And uh, they, this, this thing, they do it to keep them going. I mean, this keeps you alive. You know, you're there. I was in Mexico last August studying this because I wanted to go down there and find out why their form of Catholicism is so agonizing. And... Uh, I meditated a long time on this in the cathedral of Oaxaca. And here was the main altar. No, not the main altar, the chapel where the sacrament is reserved. The central figure behind the altar is a huge crucifix of Christ covered in blood and wounds. The stores are all muddled, you know. And then on either side of the wall facing this, there is a great painting, one of Christ carrying the cross and being mocked and scourged, and the other of uh, the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all around in the stores, where they sell bon dieu in the neighborhood of the cathedral, you can buy these agonized faces of Christ with the crown of thorns. And every thorn individually sticking in and little stipples of blood, the face is turning green and 
Guadalupe for over a whole mile on their knees. You see young girls doing this, you know? And what's this about? Well, you see, some people don't really feel they exist until they are sitting on the point of a throne. I may put it that way. Reality is a measure of pain. The pain in this way of looking at things is the most real thing that there is. Pleasure, the pleasures of this world escape and disappear and pass away. There's nothing to cling to, so don't go after pleasure, my dear friend. Uh, that's awful, that's a deceit, because the real thing in life is pain. And so what you do is you train yourself from childhood to deal with pain. We were brought up in a school system where it was simply axiomatic that suffering builds character. So therefore, any time you inflicted pain in, on anybody, you were perfectly justified in your own conscience because you were doing him a favor. You were building his character for him. Do him good! Idiot on the head! You know, this sort of attitude. And, uh... <laughs> And so this is based on this philosophy of pain is reality, is the ultimate penitential philosophy, going down, down, down into the most awful. I am wrong. See, I'm a mistake. I am responsible for this mistake. Therefore, I ought to suffer. And I go right into that state of mind. And if I've got guts and courage, I'll go as far into it as possible. And what will I find out at the end? Now, if you go far enough, the trouble is a lot of people don't. And they stay around mimble-mambling about their sins and all that. It's a sort of disgusting. And they never really get down. They never find out the, what I'll call, for the moment, the hidden motivation behind all this. Behind self-renunciation. Behind wallowing in the reality of pain. They don't see that it's phony. Because nothing can be more egotistical than true repentance. As I pointed out, you're safe in your repentance tonight. Therefore, you Feel to yourself temporarily what an egotist you are. But if you really get down to the bottom of this thing, as some of the Christian saints have done, and find out what that repentance is all about, and you suddenly see why it's the old sin all over again. What I thought was good, uh, was as a matter of fact, evil. The same self teaching self righteousness and in
that was fucking messy. But back fight, shots fired back, bitch. I don't know who the fuck she thinks she is. Putting like a fucking chicken sound. I can't see it in the message, but I can see it on the notification. An orange and a chicken. But she's wrote, always written in a little music emoji and hearty mirrors. Like, kind of fucking weird gaslighting, that. Um, there are huge gaps in our textual knowledge of where people go. For example, we know nothing about the Greek 
where the warriors go, but we don't know that. There's also this sort of nondescript underworld that I mentioned yesterday called Hill. Um, Snorri, the Icelandic historian of the Middle Ages, who writes about this, uh, sort of tries to persuade us that it's a very negative place. This is where you go if you're Um, this is where sort of ordinary people go and run. But, but if you go into the sources that have really quite good connections with the Viking such as the Skull of Poetry, um, and some of the negative poems, there doesn't seem to be any sense. Massive hawsers, two big rocks. They don't want that fish to go anywhere. Um, there are also some saga descriptions of people walking outside at night, going past burial mounds, and the burial mounds are open, and they can see into them. And the dead are inside, sort of living in their mounds. Usually, they're quite happy. They're singing or weeping or something like that. There's a lot of heroic poetry that also implies that the dead live in their graves. I'll be talking a little bit more about this tomorrow, but I think the archaeology is telling us that um, the grave is a new home for the dead. And they're certainly making the connection between um, the place where the dead people came from, where they lived, and where you put them when they're dead. They're still there. They're part of the community. But the detailed afterlife is, is quite difficult. There's a point I want to make about that, but it's uh, a key part of what I'm going to say tomorrow. A long question. I hope I can summarise it. Um, the basically asking whether, um, in addition to uh, factors of wealth and, and so on, that there is a, a chronological dimension to these graves and the stories that they might represent. Um, whether we can look for that in the archaeology and also apply cross-cultural comparisons to, um, to help us with that. Um, I'm conscious I've said this several times today, but. Um, this bit about chronological dimension is quite a large part of what I want to talk about tomorrow. If you're <laughs> waiting until then. But I would just say that, yes, um, there is that time dimension. I think it's quite important. I think the stories develop.
find love.
Yeah, so anyway, that Cheney, Cheney and Wonderland, what's a podcast? I mean, I do like a podcast, but that bitch is cray-cray. I agree with a lot of the stuff, like she says, she likes the witchy stuff and, you know, magic, and believes this world's magic, which I fully agree with. But man, it's like, oh, if you don't fall into line completely, you're not with us. You're one of them or whatever fucking mad shit she thinks. It's like, everyone's got a completely different fucking path. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like choosing to go live in fucking Thailand. I was thinking about moving abroad anyway. But now I'm getting close to getting evicted from the house. 25th of fucking December to be precise. Christmas fucking day. They want to kick me out of my house. So, my mate who lives in China, who's a teacher, he's had the two jobs. And he's fine. And he said to me, and he said it in basic terms, and he made sense. Like if you want to be a teacher, you're gonna need. If you want to be a teacher of English, you're gonna need 
the fucking vaccine. You know what I mean? We'll stay in any country eventually or travel anywhere. And he's fucking right. There's only so much you can fucking do. And so you just unplug from the pissing game. I'm not playing, it's like, I'm just like playing my own fucking game. Like, I don't believe it that it's, they're that fucking clever. You know what I mean? Maybe they try a full flag, but there's no way they just do it straight away like that. But yeah, I want to get somewhere where I can make me some proud, make some money. So I can like fucking move to Mexico or somewhere better fit, a bit more free. Maybe try to get into America. And I want to get my son come out and see the world with me. I was planning that anyway. I don't intend the fucking COVID virus to stop me. Plus, it's not like I'm like backing down. Manchester's completely normal. No one's wearing a mask or anything. It's fucking. You wouldn't even know anything was going on if you didn't watch TV, which I don't. I just listen to podcasts to kill time until I can move abroad to start a new life. Get me some come over and try and meet someone else over there because I've just been on my own for like nine months and broke up with my girlfriend in January. You know, my mum died when I was 40, my dad died when I was 30, my sister turns out to be me some fucked up situation. She's basically my mum. She had me when she was young and my mum and daddy were adopting me like, um, to me in, but they adopted them as well. Like she got some, she got pregnant on all these some uh, in Wales. Anyway, I didn't get told that until after my dad died, so that was a dead fuck. So yeah, I've been depressed for fucking years. I went planning, just trying to make my life better, and that's what I fucking intend to do. Where my son lives, he's fucking safe. He said it's normal there, so I think basically just look out the window, it's fine. Unfortunately, I've had to take the chance and do what I've had to do. I don't want to take the vaccine, but I, I did it. I have had to, and I don't consent with anything. But you can't fucking detour from whatever plan this simulation has for us. Because there's too many coincidences where it's just like, oh yeah, this is all written. So all there. I mean, I just want to go to Thailand, be learning Buddhism, learning language, eat nice food, teach English to people, have fun, play computer games, teach math, teach history. Try to make the world a bit of a better place. I have to take a pissing bit of water in a fucking syringe. This label with some shit they just made up to shit scare you, scare you up like every other fucking thing you see on the news. Then whatever. Like, I'm sick of playing this game with them, always I, me, you, we. It's like rule one. But, if people want to like to say in a way the one fucking English fan they got them fan beat. It's mad because I was just on a look on like, um, not stitch it, but you know, like a oh, castaway podcast player. And she's got like, how many plays I've got in total? 396. I don't know if that's like the whole podcast or what. I think so. I don't know. Or maybe, yeah. So, and she's got 24 episodes. 
got 25 subscribers. So she's just literally pissed off a one fucking listener. Well, she hasn't pissed me off, but it's funny because I just thought it was like a synchronicity because I was like writing a message to it at the beginning and during. So I was like kind of losing track of what she was saying and bits and bobs. But then when I focus back in after I start writing, it's like dead obvious she's just talking about me in England, running away, taking the vaccine or whatever. It's like, what? <laughs> I'm not running away. I'm making a fucking better life. Sacrifice myself so my son can have a better fucking life because once I get something set up over there, I'm going to learn to dive and get him into, when he comes over to visit, teach him how to dive. I've got friends who teach English uh, diving lessons to English tourists. You know what I mean? When it opens back up. <sighs> I want to give them a better life, man. I don't want them to be stuck in England. It's corrupt as fuck in England. The Western culture is sick. I want to go east.
pretty chill though. Tired. 